This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're getting right to the heart of things in episode number 102. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and we are here with episode number 102. We're still in the 100s, amazingly enough. And again, we have a fabulous guest on the podcast this week. I'm really excited about this episode, as you'll hear in just a minute, because this is the first time we've had kind of a mom relating her stories and her thought processes kind of on the podcast in more of a casual way. And I think that it turned out great. In fact, not just great, it was epic. So today, you're going to get the first half of Hannah's story, and next week, you're going to get the second half of her story. And I think that just, you're going to be inspired. Uh, I, I, I was kind of blown away just by how simple she made it sound to stand up for herself, to make her own choices, and also just that intimate peek inside what was going on in her mind, her vulnerabilities, her doubts, her fears, how she worked things out with her husband and her family. It's just, it is a great look, kind of a case study, if you will, on one way that you could approach making choices for your pregnancy and birth, and especially a way that you can stand up for yourself and for your baby and what you feel is right for the both of you. So with that, we're going to jump into part one of Hannah's story and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am here with Hannah Smirkinich. She is mom to Noah and Kezia, and she waited a little bit late to start her family, but she has always wanted to be a mom. So though she was an accountant in perhaps a previous adventure, she is now thrilled that she has embarked upon her real career of motherhood, and we are going to talk today about kind of her journey through pregnancy and birth with Noah and Kezia, and just explore that a little bit, and I think that you are going to really love hearing her experiences and uh, and just hearing her heart come through in these stories. So welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Kristen. It's good to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm so I was so grateful Hannah shared her story with me via email, and I was thrilled when she agreed to be on the podcast because she's, I guess she's really our guinea pig here because she's the first kind of mom-to-mom sharing that we've had, and I, I hope that we'll have more opportunities for this in the future. But um, but what really struck me, Hannah, about like just reading through your initial email to me was was how you kind of articulated your thought process and how you went from, you know, just thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to go to the doctor and do what he says and then have a baby with your first, and then that pretty quickly, it sounds like because you had a neighbor, um, you know, pretty quickly that that changed and your, your thought process kind of got rolling. And so I was thinking we just maybe explore, like you could tell us a little bit about your pregnancy with Noah and his birth, and then, of course, we'll get into how that changed when you when you found out you were pregnant with Kezia and the choices that you made there. So maybe we'll just start by exploring those birth stories. All right. Sounds good. Um, Oh, gosh, let me think. Let me give a tiny bit of background information on me before I got pregnant with my first. Um, I'm from pretty much a big family. I'm one of seven children. I'm the third, but I'm the first girl. And my mother had 
all seven of us by C-section. Um, her first was not sunny side up, but chin up. I think they call that a face presentation. And so after a long time with no progress, they determined, oh, this is a C-section. My next brother was the breach. And then after that, back in the 80s, they didn't really do V-backs. So yeah. she was a, once a C-section, always a C-section. Um, so growing up, I, I just thought C-section was normal. And I kind of figured, well, probably I'd have a C-section. No big deal. That's normal. And so yeah. when I did when I did get married and I did get pregnant, because we wanted a family right away, and so I was super excited. And my mom, <laughs> the like day after I got back from my honeymoon, she told me, hey, we have this uh, speaker at MOPS. She was a mentor at the MOPS group. And the speaker was going to be an OBGYN coming to talk to the ladies, and I could come and visit the group and listen, and if I needed an OB anytime soon, because she knew how much we wanted kiddos, um, then I would have somebody in mind. So I thought, oh, great, let's do that. So I went, and I liked him. He was a nice guy, very relaxed and very informative. I learned stuff that I didn't know about my cycle <laughs> that day. <laughs> and... Um, about two months later, I found out I was expecting, and I thought, great, now I get to call the OB and make my first appointment. So, yeah, I really did start on the track of when you're pregnant, you go to the hospital or the, uh, at the doctor's office, you go through your path, whatever that is, and then you have your baby at the hospital, and it might be a C-section, and no big deal. So <laughs> I started out thinking, you know, I'm just going to do this thing, I'm going to go to the Appointments, be a good patient, obey what they told me to do, <laughs> mostly, relatively. Um, and then I'd have my baby. And so um, in my first appointment, I, I, did, I, I do have kind of an acquisitive mind, and so there were a few questions that I had that I thought that were pretty interesting, but now that I think back, I think, oh, honey, you're cute. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> why can't I eat lunch meat? Because I've been doing research online, and why can't I eat lunch meat? And he said, well, it's not lunch meat. It's not um, like turkey or ham. It's not that it's cold or anything like that. It's that if you get it from the deli and they slice it, that that's where cross-contamination happens. If somebody came in and touched some equipment and they were sick and it got on the meat, and you ate it without cooking it, you can get listeria. And listeria is a specifically really bad illness that pregnant women causes really bad things in babies. And I thought, oh, okay, I learned something. I can eat lunch meat. Um, so I was feeling all <laughs> proud of myself for um, asking good questions and learning stuff that wasn't just blanket information. But still, I was just going to do my thing. Um, so we waited uh, a couple of weeks before really telling anybody we were expecting. And then, of course, I was excited. And I was walking down the street one day, and my neighbor was outside. And I waved and said hi. And I blurted out, oh, we're expecting a baby. And she <laughs> said, really? That's wonderful. Come on inside, and let's have tea and talk. And I thought, wow, I've, I've never really had more than a, you know, passing conversation with this woman, and I'd love to. So I went in, and I chatted with her. and. She pretty much asked me, so are you going to have an epidural? And it kind of blew me <laughs> away like, I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I guess that's what pregnant women do, right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> and so she started to tell me about 
her birth experiences and how she had three boys, and her first two she had with an epidural, and her third she had with no epidural, and it was by far the easiest labor and delivery and recovery of the three. And so um, that kind of shocked me. <laughs> but she lent me a book by Ina Mae Gaskin. I don't know which one it was. And I started reading it, and I started thinking, like, oh, there's a whole world of information yeah. out here. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. And the big takeaway I got from Ina Mae's book was, your body can do it. Yeah. And that was, like, really? I want to know more, because... My mother didn't get the chance, and she was happy and content with her birth. And so I never got an inkling that a C-section would be anything different than what you would be okay with. So suddenly my um, my focus became, gosh, I would really love to find out if I can have a vaginal birth. I would really love that. If I can't, I can't. I can't. But I tried, and I did everything I could. So I started reading and researching and learning and finding out things like an epidural might slow your labor down and that might lead to other augmentation like pitocin or breaking your water, which may or may not bring it back up again and then your time might run out and then you might be in for a C-section. So it's not that any of those things are bad, but if I wanted to have vaginal birth, if at all possible, then maybe I should do my best to avoid those. <laughs> Yeah, so it's quite a yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I love the way that you describe that continuum. I also love that your neighbor, you know, was willing to say, hey, come in for this cup of tea. And, I know. and like, I just, I mean, I think that if we had, I guess because, I mean, even me being a childbirth educator, I run a website on birth and babies, I do a podcast on birth and babies, it's like sometimes when you're with a woman who says she's pregnant and then she's talking about, oh, I'm just going to go to the hospital and everything, you're kind of afraid to speak up because you don't want to seem like you're imposing. But at mm -hmm. the same time, your neighbor taking those few minutes and really that one core question, I mean, mm -hmm. it completely fundamentally changed probably the way that your babies were born and any babies that you might be blessed with in the future and probably the beliefs that your daughter will have about birth and even your son will have about birth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's just, it's incredible to me, and it kind of underscores. I guess that little point underscores to me, and I love I love the way that she did it. Like, because she wasn't hostile about it or anything. It was just like, have you thought about this? Have you considered exactly. that? And, and since it was my experience, it makes me realize, like, I don't have to try and convince anyone. I just have to, like, or not have to, but I just enjoy asking questions and then sharing my experience because, what I learned and what I experienced doesn't have to change someone's opinion or choice, yeah. but it can cause them to be curious if they want that too. And then that's, that's their battle one. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. Just plant that, plant that little seed of curiosity. And, you know, if she wants to nurture it, she can. I just, I really like that. Okay. Yeah. So you were okay, doing a lot of, you know, you're kind of, you were digging in and you really realized that I don't, you know, maybe I don't want all these interventions and things if I want to go for a vaginal birth. So. Right. Okay. So my um, kind of like the next big point, I would say, because I could talk at length about how the whole thing went, but um, I had 
I'm trying to remember which one happened first. At around 25 weeks pregnant, I started just really having a hard time breathing at night. I would fall asleep and then just gasp awake. And my husband would say that I would, like, breathe really shallowly for, like, 10 or 15 breaths, and then I would, like, not breathe at all for 15 or 20 seconds, and then I'd just gasp and wake up. And it was just really scary. And we kind of were like, I don't know what this is, and yeah. it's nothing. And I Googled and nothing, couldn't find anything. And eventually, after a few weeks and one night when I just did that repeatedly the whole night long and got, like, no sleep, and it was really scary, we went to the um, the hospital ER, I guess, but I think it was connected with the OBGYN practice because my doctor was the one on call that morning. And I thought maybe my oxygen level was low, and so they put me on the pulse ox to check. And I live a 1,000 feet higher than where the hospital is because I'm up in the mountains. <laughs> and yeah. we're, we're outside of Colorado Springs, so it's higher than Denver. It's higher than a mile. I think it's, six, let's see, 6,500 feet. I'm at 8,000, something like that. So. It's, it's kind of high. It's normal for people to have, kind of have some oxygen issues. But as far as on their measuring, I was fine. I was in the 90, 91 range, and they like it to be above 90. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, but it's the low end, and I'm at a 1,000 more feet lower than I was at my house. But okay. And then the doctor came in, and he said, well, you know, nothing seems to be perfectly wrong, but we could do a CAT scan, see if there's a... Uh, pulmonary embolism in your lung that's causing problems. I'm like, uh, that sounds like not good. But at that point, I was like, well, I guess I kind of have to follow along with what the doctor says. So I just said, okay. And we went and did it and came back. And he said, nope, nothing there. But I can prescribe you a um, an inhaler. And it should take about a month of use to get to really take effect that you can take that for the rest of the pregnancy. And I'm thinking, Heck no. I don't want to take medicine just because <laughs> we don't know what's wrong. Um, yeah. And he wrote the prescription and he let me go. And I went and I looked online at the prescription name and I found out that it said specifically in the um, documentation for that medication not to be used in pregnant women unless dire need or something like that. And I thought, this is oh my not goodness. dire need. Like, I don't know what yeah. the heck, but I am not filling that prescription. So instead, I went to a chiropractor. I'd gone in the past for various things, and I w I'm not a regular chiropractor user, but I thought maybe they can help. So I went, and he said, oh, yeah, your pelvis is stuck. And he pulled on my leg, and I had this huge pop in my hip, and it hurt really bad. But then I felt, like, better able to breathe. And, and <laughs> yeah. that night, I had no trouble. So I ended up going to the chiropractor every three or four weeks for the rest of the pregnancy because it would sort of slide back towards the struggle. But it was something he could fix, and it wasn't a medicine I had to take. So I guess that might have been one of the things that started to cause me to doubt. It's okay. It's okay. Come on. It, it caused me to doubt the opinion. Sorry, I can wait. Oh, it's okay. She's just she managed to creep in. I'm hoping Aww. somebody comes to rescue her. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I guess that experience caused me to start doubting the doctor's like 
choice of fixing things. And it made me really yes. stop to think, when I go to a doctor, what do I want from him? I wasn't pleased with what I got, but what really could he have done? And I, it took me a few days to kind of boil it down and realize a doctor can do surgery and a doctor can prescribe medicine. And other than that, the only thing they can do is inform you of what your problem is, but you probably already know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I realized, okay, a doctor can do a C-section for me, and a doctor can give me medication to help with pain during a birth, but those are the main things. Like, I guess an extraction with a vacuum, you can't really do at home, but <laughs> you yeah. can do yourself. But yeah, mostly the doctor, if I was going to get something from him that I couldn't get from myself or a spouse or a family or friend, it was um, surgery or medicine. And so that really kind of focused my attention of when do I want the doctor's help. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing I was thinking of in that time frame is I started to, like, test the waters with what will my doctor let me have control over. Because I started reading these stories from women online about how they really, really, really wanted such and such and then it all fell apart when they got to the hospital and they wouldn't, weren't allowed what they wanted. Yes. And I thought, yes. well, how do I test that? How do I find out if my doctor's going to be great or if he's going to be like, okay, my way or the highway and you're already admitted, so there's no highway. Um, <laughs> so really, I mean, this was kind of my little stubborn streak coming out, but when I went to the appointment that was for gestational diabetes. Actually, this might have happened right before um, the breathing thing because I realized I had my um, ultrasound, my, my ultrasound anatomy scan, and then right from the mm -hmm. ultrasound, I walked over to my OBs for the appointment. My husband was with me, and this was the occasion. Um, he looked it over. He said, this is great, yada, yada, and we're going to set you up for next appointment. You're going to have your gestational diabetes test. And I said, um, I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> and he said, uh, no, this one's important. And I said, okay, I understand, but I'm, I'm, I'm declining that. And he said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Like, some of the other ones aren't important. I had skipped the um, blood work for STDs because I knew that wasn't an issue. And I can't remember if I'd skipped anything else, but I had to, oh, I declined the nuchal fold ultrasound test, whatever, because my husband and I wouldn't have terminated under any circumstances unless God decided this little one was not going to be born. Um, and I had a miscarriage, so I just thought that was not relevant. So both of those yeah. things was fine with. But this one, he was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> you need this one. And I just smiled and I said, I, I, I'm still declining. My mother had no issues with gestational diabetes and I'm not thinking it's likely for me to, so I'm going to skip the test. And he just kept on going. <laughs> and he told me, oh, there's not always signs. You know, you don't always gain a lot of weight. You don't always, um, whatever, feel diabetic, but it's still a problem for the baby. And I said, mm, I understand. Oh, that's okay. I, I understand. Well, sometimes they're born with blood sugar issues, and then their blood sugar will drop, and it's scary. And I said, well, at that point, then we'll we'll deal with that. If that were to be, I'd nurse the baby a lot, make sure they got milk and nutrition, their blood sugar was okay, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. It's okay. I'm still going to decline. And he looked at my husband like, speak to her. 
tell her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my husband had this little knowing smile on his face, like, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure she's more stubborn than you are. So uh, he finally kind of like wilted and was like, okay, fine. Are we are we doing any other testing after this? <laughs> and I laughed and I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to have the hematocrit. I want to see if my red blood cells are low or whatever. I tend on the anemic side and stuff. But it it gave me a little bit of confidence that, yes, he would push back. But, no, he wouldn't force. And I yeah. had enough gumption that I could stand my ground and say no without being yeah, mean. And I just flustered her up that. Yeah, and I just, I think, I mean, I think the way that you handled that is just, I mean, it's a really nice example, I think, for other women who might be choosing more of just a traditional OB route because, like you said, you weren't, you didn't get mean or obnoxious. You know, you, it sounds like you even stayed kind of just, you know, kind of lighthearted, but you weren't going to budge. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that takes a lot of courage on your part first, which is awesome. Um, and I just, you know, I think that's an inspiration to women that, like, you know, if we all, we're all just like kind of that matter of fact, like, nope, sorry. <laughs> um, it might make a dent. It might make a dent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let me think. After that, I just pretty much did, you know, went to all the appointments, and I got everything's perfect, your baby's perfect, everything's perfect, your weight's perfect. And I thought, why am I going to these? I could tell you that myself, but whatever. And um, kept doing a lot of reading online, just trying to learn, like, what do I need to know? What what am I going to come up against? Um, what do I want to choose? I learned about... Um, delayed cord clamping, and I had no idea about that before, but I said, I'm going to ask for that. And I learned that most women, whether they know it or not, are given Pitocin after the baby's born to speed the placenta coming out, and I didn't want yeah. that. Um, and so I made a note that I would uh, ask for not to have that. And so when the time came, Actually, I think my hospital required a month before your delivery date um, you to come in for, like, a consultation, fill out some of the paperwork for the baby. If you already know the gender and the name, you can fill out the birth certificate request and such, mostly and insurance and pay and blah, blah, blah. And so we went in and I asked the nurse that we were talking with, can I decline the HEPLOC? Because I know, like, some, some people call it different things, but it's, you know, the IV where they don't hook up the drip, but they just put the needle in your hand and tape it off, and it's there in case. And I hate needles. I really hate (laughs) needles. And my whole life growing up, people would say, aha, Hannah, you want lots of children, but haha, you're going to have so many needles in you that during pregnancy you can't avoid it. (laughs) And I just, like, I just did not want that. And it wasn't so much like a fear thing, but it's just like, why put a needle in your hand when you're laboring and just just because? Like, if I have to have medicine, then put it in. I just don't want it in advance. This lady almost jumped over the desk at me saying, absolutely, you have to have that. It's standard procedure. It's required by everyone. And even if you come in with a skinned knee, you get a haplock. And I was like, oh, okay. And I asked, did dumb. And I just said, oh, okay, <laughs> all right then. And But I had read all of the paperwork that 
you know, they handed me, usually you just sign, sign, sign. I read it. My dad's yeah. an engineer, and he's like, you read that stuff. And so I read <laughs> through it, and one paragraph stood out to me, and it said that every patient has the right to decline any medical procedure. Um, and another paragraph said that you have the right to be treated with respect. And I took those two yeah. lines at face value, and I said, okay. If they say I'm allowed to decline and I'm supposed to be respected, I'm going to tell you no, and you have to listen. <laughs> so when the time came, let's see, my birth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I let's see, I had kind of some false labor, some bloody show, some really regular contractions, but they didn't really hurt. But it was all night, all day. It was like almost 24 hours, and it's like, well, is this going to kick off? Is this real? And my mom said, you know, with my fifth, my do- I had the same thing happen. And my doctor said, drink a glass of wine, and if the contractions go away, then it wasn't real labor. But if they stay, then it's real. Okay, we'll try it. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> went to the store and bought a bottle of wine and came back, and my husband, my mom, and I all had a glass and chatted, and sure enough, the contractions went away in the car. So I thought, oh, never mind. Went home. Um, the next day I had an OB appointment. He checked me. I was like a three. And he said, yeah, you know, it could be soon. Maybe Friday. I think this was Tuesday at the time. And I was like, oh, well, I thought it was now. Okay. And sure <laughs> enough, um, the next day contractions started again. And this time they hurt. And they were all night long, five minutes apart, a minute long. We went to my mom's house. We live about 45 minutes from the hospital. So we're out in the boonies. And... Um, my mom's house is 15 minutes from the hospital. So we went there the next morning, and I labored all day, and it hurt. <laughs> and more bloody show, okay, this is probably it. This is real. By the evening, same thing. It's like, is this real or not? I don't know. Had another glass of wine. That bottle wasn't empty yet. <laughs> so <laughs> went to bed, and the contractions did not stop. And they just kept coming, and they kept coming, and my husband, bless his heart, would push on my back when they hurt, and then I'd relax, and he'd drift off with me, and then he'd wake up with me and <laughs> push on my back, and then eventually he, like, really fell asleep, and I wasn't asleep because they were still coming. And finally I, like, rolled over. I think I must have hit him or something. I don't know. And I said, wake up. <laughs> I need you. I can't do this anymore. And I think he grabbed the trash can for me because I then threw up in the trash can and told him, go like my mother. I, 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 I couldn't think straight. I didn't know what to do. Honestly, in my head, I was thinking, should I take a bath? I don't know. And my mom came in and kind of smiled and said, I guess it's time to head to the hospital now. <laughs> so it was 1 o'clock in the morning. I had been laboring for like, let's see, since 10 o'clock, two nights before. So 30-something hours. And we got to the hospital, and we came up to, through and, you know, buzzed in. And the guy at the counter asked, you know, what are you here for? And bless my husband. He said, um, we think my wife is in labor. <laughs> and I kind of thought, really? That's kind of funny because it's been, like, consistent for 30 hours or so now. I'm pretty sure this is labor. So they buzzed us in and tried to have us fill out paperwork, and gosh, He's like, can you talk through it? Uh-uh. <laughs> and I just stood there and waited for the next contraction, signed my name because my husband filled the rest of the paperwork out for me. And then we went into the, like, little triage room. And um, I'm sure that the nurse was told exactly what he was told. 
this gal thinks she's in labor. <laughs> she's a first <laughs> So she did her little thing, and she measured my temperature or whatever, and she got to checking my dilation, and her eyes got real wide, and she's like, oh, honey, you're at six. You're definitely getting admitted. We're moving you to a room now. I thought, oh, good. <laughs> this is good. We got in the room, and they asked all the same questions as triage. Don't those people communicate with each other? I don't understand. Yeah, no they don't. <laughs> so um, after she asked her questions, and I got changed into a robe, I don't know, I think so, I went walking around the hall, so I just got super nauseous and felt like I was going to throw up again. So I came back to the room, and my mom reminded me, sometimes that happens when you're dilated. So I asked the nurse, can you please check me? And she's like, honey, we checked you less than an hour ago. I'm like, I understand, but could you please check me again? Oh, I'm going to reverse back to the triage room when the gal tried to put the um, pep lock in. I said, oh, no, thank you. I'm going to decline that. She looked at me like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. You can't decline. This is normal. I said, no, no, I'm declining. Uh, no, this is required. Yes, I understand. I'm declining. And the, uh, <laughs> the doctor on call requires, like she told me these words, requires every patient to have a headlock. I understand. I'm still declining. N no, you don't understand. This is for if something goes really, like, south, and it, this can happen really quickly, and we need to help you or the baby and get medicine in you or, or fluids or something because you're crashing and your baby could die. We have to get there quickly, and, and we need this. And I said, I understand. I'm still declining. <laughs> and she just looked at me, like, with this, like, incredulous, like, don't don't you understand? I'm convincing you. Why aren't you convinced? Look on the face. <laughs> and my husband told me afterwards, like, he, when, when he was hearing these arguments, he said, it sounded like necessary to me, but you obviously felt like it was fine not to. And I had explained, like, hey, these are nurses. They are well-trained. If they needed to get an IV on somebody, they can get it in. They don't yeah. have to use a nice little, like, calm, reach your wrist out and let me prep it real quick. They can get a needle in you fast or they're yeah. not really a good nurse. So they're, they're fine. They would prefer not to be under stress while doing it, but they could do it. And besides, if things started to look bad, they generally don't go that bad that fast. I could start looking really pale or feeling kind of ill or sick or nauseous or weak or something. And we would reconsider it at that point and say, you know what, I don't feel good and maybe we should get an IV in because maybe it's not going to be as easy as I thought. So <clears throat> that's all I said. I just kept saying, I understand, but I'm totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> so going back, the lady did check me and she's like, oh, wow, you are complete, but your water hasn't broken yet. So um, do you want the doctor to break your water for you? And I said, yes, please. <laughs> so this was about um, 3 a.m., I think, because we had gotten there at 2 and and then all the triage and the walking and everything. So about 3 o'clock, I was ready to have my water broken for me. And we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited. No doctor showed up. And they kept popping in to say, oh, they're, they're so busy with another birth, they can't come, but they will soon. Finally, shift change happened at 7, and the doctor came in to meet all the patients and say, hi, I'm Toby, and I'm Toby on call now, and blah, 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 but he couldn't do anything until he had made all of his rounds. So 
I waited till 8 to have my water broken. And I was in the bed the whole time. They never suggested get up, walk around, or do anything. So I just yeah. obediently lay there and waited. And finally he came in. He broke my water. Um, and he said that my son's head was asynclitic. So it was kind of cockeyed. And it wasn't quite straight in my pelvis. He's mm-hmm. like, that's okay. Baby, I'll figure it out. I just want you to labor down for a while. And he'll kind of wiggle around and sort himself out. So, is there anything else? <laughs> I'll be back when you need me. <laughs> and he left. And so, at that point, I started laboring in different positions. And a couple of times, the nurses would try to recommend a position, and they always got it wrong. It was always horrible. But I would do it. I would be there for 15 or 20 minutes, and I'd say, this is just wretched. Can I move? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for trying. Let's do this else. <laughs> and finally, I just got on, like, my knees, and the bed was tipped up, so I leaned my hands and arms and head against the back of the bed mm-hmm. and kneeled there, and I just let the contractions wash over me, and they were just like, I now understand because I've read about them, but it was kind of like waves. It wasn't as bad. I didn't push with them, but they kind of started pushing, and it's sort of like, oh, yeah. this sort of feels okay, and didn't think anything of it, and the nurses kept trying, why don't you turn over? Well, why don't you turn over? And I just kind of ignored them for like a half an hour. And finally, I turned over, and they're like, oh, he's crowning. Let's get the doctor. Stop pushing. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I've never been pushing. I, I'm not pushing, and my body's doing it. I can't stop. So it took like 10 more minutes for the doctor to get there. It felt like maybe it was five, but it was a while. And he's like, okay, well, you can push when you want to. And I said, okay. And I think I pushed. I don't know. But he never counted. I, that was nice. I, I wasn't yelled at or anything. Yeah. And my son came out. Um, I think he had his cord wrapped around his neck, but it wasn't a big deal. I'm pretty sure he was blueberry colored because I remember thinking, he looks sort of like a blue Buddha <laughs> as I was looking at just his head. And so he also must have been sunny side up or he had turned after he came out because I saw his face. And then I pushed and the rest of him was out. And um, yeah. I thought, okay, I did it. They put my baby on my belly. They didn't cut the cord. It didn't take very long. It was like a minute or two. And they're like, okay, the cord's done. Can I cut it now? Oh, I guess so. Sure. And so he clamped it and cut it, or my husband cut it. And, you know, we had a baby. And I thought that that experience was wonderful. And I thought, you know, I got what I wanted. I didn't have to have an IV. I did. Oh, the doctor, I had had been given the request no Pitocin and I heard him talking with the nurse and she was whispering and he's like, oh no, she wants to be natural and she said that if she could, she'd like to see if her body would do what it's supposed to and it's doing it so we don't need to give her the Pitocin so put it away, I guess. And so (laughs) I loved that guy. I thought, next time I have a baby, I'm requesting him as my OB. It's not my OB, but I like him. Um, So yeah, I thought it was great. And it wasn't until when I got pregnant again that I was like, you know, he was great, but I could do that at my house. Like, I could totally yeah. do it myself. <laughs> and so yeah. I wrote the question, like, oh, go can I jump in? And yeah. like, what, do you think with Noah, like, especially, like, because you were complete when they checked you just with the bulging bag of waters, do you think that, mm-hmm. like, if you had been able to, because you said you kind of felt like you were stuck in bed, if you had been able to, like, get up and move around or even just change positions maybe on your knees, the position you ultimately got in, because, you know, he 
he was an ASUN clinic, so he needed to move his head around a little bit. Do you feel like now, looking back on it, like if you had actively worked with him more, do you think that, like, your membranes would have ruptured spontaneously? Or I guess I should say water broken spontaneously. Yeah. Sorry for going into clinical Maybe. speech. But I mean, or what are your feelings mm -hmm. on that, like, looking back <laughs> on it? Well, I will say I think I would have had a baby in my arms a lot faster. I don't know if it would have broken because, actually, I had to break my own water with my daughter because my body was trying and trying and trying and it was getting so intense and so miserable and nothing was happening that, and spoiler alert for my daughter, I reached in there and was poking <laughs> and scratching and trying and trying to get it to break and it wouldn't, it felt like a balloon, like not a mylar balloon, but like a regular balloon that you had inflated and try and pop that with your fingernail and see if that works. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't. And I finally got it to break. Um, and then within seconds, I started having, like, extreme pushing contractions to push baby out with her. Yeah. So had my water broken earlier and had I been in a different position, it's likely it would have happened faster. It probably would have, I mean, either it would have broken on its own or he would have come in the sack. But it wouldn't have taken five hours of just sitting there wondering, yeah. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Any other questions about that story that you come to mind? No, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think, again, you just, like, you beautifully kind of articulated, like, standard thought patterns that women go through and then, like, even, I guess, kind of exploring possibly that alternative and feeling like, okay, you know, this was a pretty good doctor. And, I mean, I really, it does sound like he was nice, like, especially talking about, okay, well, you're probably just going to have to labor him down. I mean, some doctors would be like, let me get in there with the forceps or the vacuum or whatever and let's yeah. make this kid out. So, Thank you so much, Hannah, for that awesome, awesome story, just for sharing your thoughts for what you did, for how you worked with your care provider and the hospital, uh, how you stood your ground, but did it in that kind of confident and kind way. That's really an inspiration. And I honestly feel that if more moms did that, we would see a lot of change happening nationwide, worldwide, everywhere for moms and babies. So that was really cool. Okay. I am really looking forward to the second part of Hannah's story, and I know you are too. So we will go ahead and wrap up this week and leave you waiting for next week. Remember, you can totally uh, leave a rating on iTunes or on Stitcher or in the Google Play Music Store. That really helps other families find out about the podcast. It means that we're able to bring more stories, more guests, more monologues even from me onto the podcast. And I really appreciate you just taking a second to leave that rating. Let people know that this podcast is worth listening to. And uh, with that, we will continue Hannah's story next week. And I hope that you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.